So good to be with you uh, this morning. And let me say, karibu. Anyone know what that means? You know what that means? It means welcome. You can say, asante. Okay, so I'll say, karibu. And you say, that means thank you. Yeah, okay, and then I'll say, habari asubui. And that means, how are you doing this morning? And you could say, mzuri, all right? And that means miserable. No, it means, <laughs> it means good. So I'll say, you say Missouri. Habari asubui. Mzuri, good, that means good. It's, that's Swahili. In 1996, I met my wife in Kenya, Africa. And I vowed, hoped, Dream desired that one day we could return to the beautiful uh, continent of, of Africa and uh, perhaps even bring our kids there. My oldest is graduating from high school here this year and heading off into college, so we decided this was the time to do it. So for the past couple weeks, we were enjoying this beautiful part of the world and just got back from uh, Tanzania just, uh, just Friday night, late Friday night. So I'm a little wobbly, but I'm, but I'm good, all is well. Uh, I wanted to share just a quick video uh, from uh, Tanzania. It was, uh, we were returning to our tent one night in the middle of the Serengeti uh, Preserve, the famous Serengeti Natural Preserve there. And so this is just a video I took as we were approaching the tent. Check this out. So this is an awesome picture of the kids' tent. We just came back from safari, and they have a guest. <laughs> a big buffalo. A big guest. He's getting in a fight with a bush. <laughs> but we're trying to scare him away now. Yeah. Yeah, because he's. Okay, go ahead and scare him away. Roar. Oh, he's just he's lying so down. <laughs> I don't think we scared him away. Whoa. There you go. Maybe I'll lay down he here. Likes the tent. No, you're not allowed to stay in the tents, Mr. Buffalo. <laughs> you get the point here? I've never chased a buffalo before. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. So I don't know if you've ever been on, on one of these safaris, but there are no fences, all right? There's no kind of safety space there. Uh, that night, uh, just, looking, just standing just outside of that particular tent, uh, we, could, we could shine a flashlight at night when it gets dark, and what you, want, what you need to do is you need to look for beady little eyes looking back at you because they'll reflect the light. So, so we would go outside, and we would look around, and that night, about, about 100 or so yards out, we, we saw two little beady eyes, and a female lion was just walking across there. We had our eyes on that lion, and we weren't going to be walking around very much outside of the tent. And that night, we could hear that lion and at least another female lion circling around our tents. 
and that, that buffalo, because that buffalo stuck around, and so the lions were growling throughout the night. It was awesome. It was incredible. So I wish that there was some way that that introduction could have anything to do with my message. I, I would hope, you know, that to be the case in most situations, but in this situation, that's not it whatsoever. Just wanted to give you greetings from Tanzania. Thankful that we went and thankful that we got back safe. So anyway, we had a great time. In my absence, you all started a new series called The Church of Tomorrow. And what we're doing is we are looking at two books found in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy. And we're excited about this series because uh, we're doing something that we haven't done before, and that is to connect the content. We're walking through these two New Testament books together with children's ministry and student ministry and adult ministry. The whole church is walking through this journey together. What we're doing is we're looking at this, these letters that Paul wrote to young Timothy as he was leading these, this brand new church in the city of Ephesus. So Paul was essentially saying in these letters, this is what the church, there's this new concept, this new establishment called the church. This is what the church could look like. This is how to lead this new thing called the church. This is what the church of tomorrow might look like. And so today we are jumping into 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. If you have a digital Bible you have access to, I invite you to go there with me as well. I'm reading from the NIV. Obviously, feel free to just read uh, whatever version you have in front of you. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul begins this chapter and he encourages Timothy to remind the people in the church that it is their responsibility to pray for the people that they are serving. So for those that we are reaching out to, the the kids who are coming to Best Week Ever and and the neighbors that you are loving and responding to and inviting to church, etc., that we are to pray for them because we care about them. We, we want to, to be a blessing here in this community. So Paul reminds Timothy, pray for those that you are serving. Pray for those who are poor. Pray for those who are kings. Pray for those that, that, to whom God has given much authority. Pray for, for them. And then Paul talks about worship. I want to begin reading in verse 8, chapter 2. He says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing, I want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is not a chapter that is often read in church. It's a chapter that is typically avoided. And somehow, they saved it for me when I got back (laughs) to dive into 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is a chapter that can make us a little bit uncomfortable. It can make the women nervous because you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what is he going to say about this chapter? makes the men nervous because you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to have to find another church. And so this is a tricky, tricky chapter. Let me continue. Verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. (laughs) 
nervous laughter, <laughs> nervous laughter. Where am I? Uh, in trouble, that's where I am. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Paul was a man, 2,000 years ago, men were the same that they are today. They got to blame somebody. And so, Paul, there's some of that was happening here. Now, before you start Googling churches here in the Ahwatukee area, <laughs> let, me, let, me just, let me just step back from this chapter, this admittedly difficult chapter. Let me just step back from this because we have to take the big picture look at what the Bible says about women, about the Bible's treatment of women. It's a very risky thing to read one verse and to develop an entire theology around one verse or even one chapter. It's a very risky thing to pull something out of the Bible and to say, this now shapes everything that I believe. That it, The wisest thing to do, it's why we're supposed to continue to read our Bibles. The wisest thing to do is to say, what's the overall picture here? What is the big story here? And the big picture is that the Bible radically transformed the treatment of women in the world. The Bible radically transformed for the good the treatment of women in the Bible, in the world. Now let me back up to, to this, to the kind of the, the bigger picture story, bigger than 1 Timothy chapter 2. At the very beginning of the story, as Paul has referred to here, was the Genesis story, the, the, the creation story of man and woman. Who was it who took the first bite of the fruit? It was Eve. It was the woman. And yet, that story is typically throughout Scripture not pinned on the woman. In fact, sin is typically referred to as the sin of Adam. That story is typically referred to as the sin of Adam because Adam was the one who just stood there. He just stood there while Eve uh, took a bite of the fruit, and then he, as I mentioned before, blames her. And so this is, this is what that story is about. But that story is not pinned on the woman as we look at the grand story of humanity. And then as we look at the, the big story in the Old Testament, in this male-dominated culture, we have the books of Ruth and the book of Esther that celebrate the roles of women. These are great books, and Ruth is celebrated as the great-grandma of King David, Women are celebrated in the Old Testament in a way that is not consistent with the way the world was, was going. The Bible had radically transformed the treatment and the view of women in the world. We get to the New Testament, and Jesus gives no hint whatsoever that women are to be silent. He shows great kindness and love to the prostitute, to the woman who was caught in adultery, to the woman at the well who had been married multiple times and she was a Samaritan and he had plenty of reasons not to interact with her, but he did interact with her. And then perhaps the most remarkable of all was the people who discovered the empty tomb at the end of Jesus' earthly story. The group that discovered the empty tomb was a group of women in a culture that didn't even recognize 
the testimony of a woman in court. It wasn't even a valid testimony at that time uh, in history. In that culture, the greatest story in the history of humankind was first discovered by a group of women. The Bible did some radical uh, uh, treatment and support for the role of women. The problem is Paul. <laughs> the problem is chapters like 1 Timothy chapter 2. But we can even step back from Paul and step back and say, well, what, what's the big picture of what even Paul said? Paul's the one who said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And Paul, as we read in the book of Acts and we read in his other letters, he elevates the, and honors women and their leadership in the church. There are multiple instances where Paul elevates the role of women. And so before we head into 1 Timothy chapter 2, we can step back and get this big picture that the Bible radically transformed the view and the role of women in the world. The Bible has been a major, major factor in terms of how women are treated. The Bible says something different than the rest of the world. So, as a result, as a result of that, as a result of stepping back and taking a look at the big picture, I enter, personally, I enter 1 Timothy chapter 2 knowing that God honors women and believing here's a church that women can play any leadership role in the church. I, I enter into 1 Timothy chapter 2 knowing that. I don't struggle or stumble when I read that verse. I'm not afraid of reading that here this morning. And, and I don't, God's not afraid. Oh, stay away from 1 Timothy chapter 2. There's no need to have fear uh, with, with all of that because we can step back and take a look at the big picture. Now, I may not understand all the details. I certainly could make mistakes in terms of assuming what Paul meant uh, when he wrote this or what was happening culturally, and we're going to take a look at that in just a few minutes. I could make some mistakes uh, with all of that, but I can stand comfortably with the belief knowing that God honors women. I don't get to say that because that's what I want the Bible to say. We have to be very careful with that. On, on this or any other issue, we're not allowed to say, that's what I want the Bible to say, so I'm going to read that into the Bible. I'm going to ignore what the Bible says because, because this is what I want it to say. We're not allowed to do that. I get to stand firmly on that because that it is what the Bible says. It has a very high view of women. Now, you can disagree with me based on your background or your own reading of 1 Timothy 2. That's fine. We can talk about it in a healthy way. I just want to be super clear here this morning that here at Mountain Park... We honor and elevate women and believe women can play any role of leadership in the church. Now, with that declaration made, let's dig into 1 Timothy chapter 2, this chapter that sometimes we may wince at a little bit when we read. Let me read back uh, verse 9. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I actually don't believe that this is, um, is, is an oppressive 
a position or response to women. I think it's actually meant from Paul to be an inspiration to women. I think it's meant to be an inspiration to them. That they are not to just go to the synagogue or go, go and, and connect with and worship God and, and, just, and just stand there while the men are the ones who do all the connecting and all the talking and all the worshiping, etc. The, the women are not supposed to just go and be a trophy in the worship of God. They are to do good deeds themselves. That Paul is saying, Timothy, you teach the women. You do good deeds. You worship God. Don't just stand on the side and, and it's the men's job to be able to enjoy that and experience that. Women, you get to participate in that. You, you get to do good deeds and participate in worship. What's interesting about this, if, if you view it that way, what's interesting about this is that our culture has pretty much flipped from what that culture was 2,000 years ago. That in many ways... In, in our culture, it, it, it's often the women who are the spiritually sensitive ones in, in the family or, or in our culture, in our communities. Often it's the women who are, who are the one leaning forward in terms of who is this Jesus? What's going on? Is there something I'm missing? And sometimes, obviously not all, all cases, sometimes it's the men who are kind of standing back and just going along for the ride. I think perhaps a modern reading of this might be I also want the men to not set up tea times on Sunday morning. (laughs) I want the men to understand that your pursuit of your career and your success in your career is not the same as purpose in life. That success in that area does not mean overall success in terms of human existence. I think Paul's saying, you bring leadership into the family. You worship God, and don't just leave that for, for the, as something that the women do. You participate in that, which is why I'm so excited when we enjoy these baptisms and we see husbands connecting with baptizing their wives and fathers baptizing their children. It's men engaged, fully engaged in the life of the church. And I think that's what Paul is addressing here to say men and women, You fully engage. Just don't let your gender allow you to sit on the sideline in any way. And then in the next verses 11 through 12, this is where it gets a little bit more tricky, especially verse 12 that I already read. (laughs) I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. First of all, be very careful not to abuse a verse like that. Just really, really careful not to abuse a verse like that. There are historically two legitimate ways to understand this section, this verse. And they are, they are legitimate um, different angles, perspectives on this. One is that Paul is speaking a universal law here. That he's saying this is the way the world is supposed to work. That this is the way it was set up in Genesis. That the man is to be over the woman and that the woman is to submit to the man, and that the story of Eve is an example of what happens when this hierarchy is not followed, that this is a universal law that Paul is projecting and reminding Timothy to tell the people of Ephesus. Another legitimate understanding of of this verse 
is that, this, is that Paul is addressing a specific situation. That this is not a universal law from the beginning of time addressing all men and all women, but what Paul was addressing a specific group of women in that church, and he was asking Timothy to lead and do something about it. So once again, as I step back and take a look at the overall message of Scripture, as I step back and take a look at the overall message of Paul in other writings, I lean towards the second understanding the second legitimate reading of these verses. This is not a universal law that addresses all men and all women for all time. This is a specific situation that Paul is addressing. As David mentioned a couple weeks ago as he introduced this series, Paul is very familiar with the church of Ephesus. He planted the church. He loves those people. He knows those people. He knows that group of women and the heresy that they are spreading in that particular church. And so I believe Paul is saying to Timothy, it's time for you to lead young Timothy. It's not okay to just sit back and let things happen that divide and separate and confuse the church. Timothy, step in. Speak the truth in love and address what's going on in that church. This is a specific situation, Timothy, I want you to address. It's a model for there are times when we in the church need to, for the benefit of the church, step in and help and say something, do something. I think, I think 1 Timothy chapter 2 is important. I think it's important for us to read it in church. I think it's important for us, for the church of tomorrow, to be unafraid to struggle with whatever topic, whatever section of Scripture has before us, and that we don't ignore it, and we don't pretend it's not there. And it's okay for you to disagree with me with all that I just said, and and if you have a different viewpoint, that's fine. We can stay in fellowship together as long as we're honoring with one another and we talk about it in a healthy way. This is not a divisive issue. I just want to be clear here this morning that here at Mountain Park, we honor women and we embrace women in any leadership role in the church. I think that, that struggling churches, dying churches, are the ones that say, we can't talk about that. I think the church of tomorrow says, we can talk about anything. I think dying churches are the ones that say, you can't ask that question here. Churches of tomorrow say, you can ask any question. No matter how old you are, no matter what your background is, if you have zero background in the church and you just kind of, you just have some fresh new questions, anything is okay. You can ask any question. Dying, struggling churches say, here's what you are to believe. Just shut your brain off. Here's a list of things. You read them and check off. Da-da-da-da, check. Da-da-da-da, check. And then we're all the same on all of these issues. But the church of tomorrow identifies that there's a difference between essential elements of faith and non-essential elements of faith. That there are essential foundational issues like the role of Jesus as the one who is the remedy to the cure of the disease of sin. Essential roles of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are things that we will, we will lock in on and that we will be one together with as a church. And then there are non, 
essential items where we can continue to debate and we can talk in a loving way. And my hope is that as, as we, we look at Paul's relationship with, with Timothy and how they were addressing that situation and these, these words that made it into Scripture, that we can look at those words and we can put them before us all and say, okay, where are we coming from with this? We can disagree, and that's okay, as long as we continue to love and honor one another through that process. The church of tomorrow is not afraid to talk about whatever she needs to talk about. That's what I love about Mountain Park, is that, is that we get to do that together, and that you all are a group of people that are unafraid to do that with me. Would you bow your heads? I want to close with, with you here today. Father, once again, we celebrate here this morning, we celebrate the baptisms, we celebrate the souls that, that you've been pursuing and um, that have responded to you. What a great, what a great joy in heaven that we get to share here in this room. And Father, we, we thank you for your, for your word, even the difficult parts, God. We thank you that there's something in there that you want us to wrestle with. You want, uh, you've put it there for a reason, God, so we trust you. And we love each other as we pursue this stuff. God, would you, would you be with us this week as we continue to pursue you and connect with one another? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. So thankful you came today. Have a fabulous rest of your weekend.